You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Good to see you all today. You made it through the snowstorm. Wow. We, had, we actually did get a snowstorm. Uh, I'm telling you that because I'm from North Dakota, and most of the time we have snowstorms here. It's just called winter. But we actually did have a snowstorm, so I'm happy to report that to you. We, when I, we lived, me and Kayla lived in Iowa City. Our pastor would call me when we'd get like half an inch of snow and be like, do, do we need to cancel church today? And I'm like, you are calling the wrong guy. <laughs> Can you get out of your driveway? Can you, do you have a coat? Then no, you should not cancel church. So we did officially have a, uh, a snowstorm. And you made it. We all made it. Good job. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to... Luke chapter 9. My son is at a funny age. He's three years old, and uh, we were at some friend's house on Friday night when it was getting really bad, and I was clearing off the, the, the windshield and stuff, and I slipped in the snow, and I smashed against the front of the car, and my wife does the, the mom gas, the, you know, that moms do? And my son just goes from the back seat, is dad dead? <laughs> like, let's move on with our lives. <laughs> Is dad dead? I'm okay. I'm not dead. We're going to be in Luke 9. You can kind of hold that place. I'll get to it eventually here. This morning I want to share with you about the cost of following Jesus. To follow Jesus wholeheartedly, it's going to re- require something from us. It's going to require the entirety of who we are. In fact, the way Jesus lived, um, he died, rose again, he lived as an example to each one of us of what it is to live a laid down life, of submittedness and surrender, and surrender to the Father. A few weeks ago, when I shared I shared briefly at the beginning, John chapter 2 at the end. In verse 23, it says, Now Jesus, while he was in Jerusalem, the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to, him, to them, for he knew all people, and he did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. You know, as individuals, there's a cost to following Jesus, and it is the cost is your yes. The cost is the things that you give your life to, the, thing, the, the things that you think about, the intents and the motives of your heart. Motive matters. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. That's it. It's Jesus, and out of everything else, out of that flows everything else. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. And then as a people, there's something that will cost us something. I'm not talking about money. But there's something that will cost us something as a people to see God more glorified in this place. And that's what it's talking about here. We've been on a journey as a, as a body, as a family of, of saying, do, what, does what we do and do our values, do these things line up? And if they don't, then we need to we need to do things differently so that our values line up with what we do, or that what we do line up, lines up with our values. Who we say that we are, 
which is what the main reason we move to one service. If we're a people who say, we want, we want a time that we say, God, you can interrupt and do anything you want, then we're gonna do that. If we're gonna be a people devoted to, to worship, to, to, to King Jesus, then we're gonna, what we do is going to reflect that. But it's gonna cost something. We might look silly in the eyes of the world. Your reputation might take a beating. But I've been asking myself this question, I wanna ask it to you, don't you want more? Don't you want more? What a slap in the face it is to God when we say, God, I'm just content. I'm fine with where I've had it. Not knowing that there's so much more, there's always so much more. And I'm not talking about striving. I'm not talking about impressing God with the things that we do for him. I'm talking about yieldedness and surrender. You know, when you give your life to Jesus, that has nothing to do with your works, as the Bible says in Ephesians 2. It is by grace through faith that we are saved, amen? But then as we walk with him, there's this, the principle of the kingdom, the you who are faithful with little will be given much. The principle of sowing and reaping, where it shows that I can trust these people with more of myself. When Dr. Bob Gladstone was here, he, he said it's God's mercy at times that he doesn't send revival because it would destroy us. We don't have the foundation we don't have the character. I've seen it happen where there's been an anointing on someone's life, but there's no character, and it ruined them. Jesus will entrust himself to a people of a firm foundation who have the character to steward it. Imagine this. You hear the story all the time of people who win the lottery, and they think this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and then it destroys their life. Because they all of a sudden have, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck and now they have $300 million and it destroys them. Because they don't have the character to steward the things that they're given. So don't you want more? And I say, yes, I want more. So that means that God is asking for your yes. He's asking for the, the, the wholeness of your heart. You know, all over the world, God is moving. He's, he's moving. He's doing things greater than we've ever seen all over the world. Right now, this moment, there are people being raised to, the, to life. I heard a story about a man who was uh, in, in Mexico, in one of the, um, uh, in a native village there, and he died. He came home from work. He sat down for supper with his wife, and he fell over dead. No pulse, nothing, dead. She ran to the, to the missionaries in her area, the Pentecostal believers, and they came and they prayed, and the man came back to life. And, and they asked him, what did you see? And he said, he just said the words in English, I am, I am, I am, I am. He saw Jesus. Jesus is moving all over this earth, he's healing people, insane miracles that you can't even imagine. He's providing for people all over this world. He's saving people. But it's going to cost something, it's gonna cost your surrender. And so much of our life, I believe, is the chaff that will get burned up at the end. And we spend so much of our affection and our time on these things that have no eternal significance.
And Jesus is saying, I want your yes. Dr. Michael Brown, he says this, to this day, men and women gladly suffer for him, suffer or surrender all for him, even die for him joyfully because in him they have everything that they need. In him they have discovered perfect love. In him they have found what their souls have longed for. In him they have met God. Why shouldn't they gladly leave homes and jobs, possessions, riches, and reputation in exchange for fellowship with Jesus? Why shouldn't they say with Paul, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. I've realized in my life I have focused so much on what I'm giving up for the Lord and what I'm submitting and surrendering to him, I lose sight of the, what I am gaining. He, the Bible says, is the pearl of great price. Like we just read, he's the one your soul is longing for. And we put all these, our, our effort and attention and affection on these things that will not satisfy. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had to buy it. You and I were like that merchant. Like um, the person described in the story is someone that's looking, like looking for val things of value. You and I were created for a relationship with Jesus. We were, we were created for a relationship to know God. And so our hearts were longing for it. We want it. Everything that we do is longing for purpose, for fulfillment of that, th that, that, that place that the Lord put in us. So when we find it, why wouldn't we? Give everything joyfully to have it. What we gain is so much better than what we submit to him, what we surrender to him. Jesus is better than you think. He is perfect. He is worth your whole heart. He will sustain you. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will transform you. He is what your soul longs for. You were created to love him. And if you live outside of that purpose, you will always be searching to fill it. And like we just read, why wouldn't we give everything in exchange for the beauty and perfection of Jesus? He is enough. He is enough. He is your sufficiency. He is your sufficiency. You'll never be without. He sees the deep longings of your heart and they're not unimportant to him. And he will sustain you. Can we just for a moment, I'm feeling... Can we just close our eyes? He's, Jesus is here. 
And right now he wants to reveal himself in a greater way to you. Jesus, come. Jesus, come. You are that treasure in that field. You are the priceless one, the matchless one. Your beauty is beyond compare. You are the word made flesh. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus. You are our champion, Lord. The one who holds it all together. Jesus. Reveal yourself right now. to a people who are hungry for you. And if we're not hungry, if there's one here that's not hungry, God, begin to stir up a hunger. Stir up a hunger, Lord. Stir up a hunger right now in Jesus' name for more of you. Open up our eyes to see and understand. Like Kyle was praying, Lord, open up our ears to hear. You are better than we think, Lord. Richard Wormbrand tells a story of, of Victor Belik, a Ukrainian Christian who was kept in solitary confinement for 20 years. With only a straw mat put in his cell each night for seven hours, every day for 17 hours he was made to walk around his cell continuously like a horse in a circus. If he stopped or broke down, they threw buckets of water on him or beat him and he was forced to continue. After 20 years of such a, reg a regime, he was sent to forced labor in northern Siberia where the ice never melts for another four years. He was asked, how can you bear this suffering after the years of solitary confinement and a starvation diet? He replied by singing a song that he had composed. With the flames of love's fire that Jesus kindled in my heart, I caused the ice of Siberia to melt. Hallelujah. Better to be in a prison cell with Jesus than in a mansion without him. Better to have him plus nothing else in this world than to have everything in this world without him. Choose today Jesus as your portion and, and with him and in him you will have everything that you need. He is so much greater than those things that we hold on to. He is so much greater than those things that we hold on so tightly to. So it's going to cost something for more of the Lord. So in Luke chapter nine, I told you I'd finally get there. In Luke nine, we have this, this story of three men who approach Jesus that want to follow him, or at least appear to. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning is what is keeping you from full surrender? What is keeping you from giving everything to the one who gave everything? It's a short little story in Luke chapter nine that uh, at face value can seem really confusing. It seems like Jesus is speaking in riddles. But it says this in verse 57. 
As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59 says, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is one of those stories that you're like, whoa, Jesus, just a little, like, harsh. It seems really harsh at times, doesn't it? But the beauty of Jesus is that he doesn't beat around the bush. <laughs> he speaks directly to the heart of the matter. And he still does it today. He speaks, we, we spend our time circling the mountain and the Lord says, this is what it actually is. It's right here. Stop avoiding it. It's right there. It's right there. You got to go in the cave and face that thing. It's there. It's right there. And we have selective hearing. My my youngest brother, Bryce, when he was a younger man, uh, my parents were afraid that he was hard of hearing. And so they took him to the doctor and checked all his hearing. And the doctor said, well, his hearing looks good. Unfortunately, he has what we, we call in the medical field selective hearing. <laughs> he only hears what he wants to hear. Don't we do that with the God? We say, God, I'll do anything for you. And then he's like, okay, do that. And you're like, wait, what was that? I, don't, I didn't hear you. hear you right there. Verse 57, it, it says, as they were walking along the road, a better way to translate that is as Jesus was on his way. We read in the verses prior, in verse 51, it says, at the time, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus isn't like just wandering around the countryside. He is set on a mission. And as he's set on a mission, he is stopping to reveal the kingdom of God, the heart of God, and who he is to the people that come. That's the beauty of the Lord. He can accomplish his sovereign plan, his mission for this, for, for, for this life and for this world, and also reveal God to each one of us individually. He was on the way, and as he was on the way to accomplish what he came into this world to do, he would stop. Jesus came to die. Jesus came to die to pay for our sin. For you and I, he took the cross that should have been us. Jesus died, and, but not only that, he rose again, right? He rose to life, conquered sin and hell and the grave, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, amen. But that's not all Jesus came to do. Jesus came, just like we sang, to reveal the kingdom. To show us what the ways of God are like. And not only that, Jesus also to, came to show us what God was like. Because we were not seeing him clearly. He came to show us who God is. Hebrews chapter 1 says that he, Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. 
If we want to know what God the Father is like, we have to know, look no further than Jesus, who only did what he said, what he said he only did what he saw the Father doing. We have to look no further than to Jesus to know what God is like. So if you're wondering today what God is like, read about Jesus. So Jesus is on the way. He's on the, he, he set out for Jerusalem. The reason he came was to die. And so he's on the way. And then as he's on the way, he makes all these pit stops along the way. And there's this man who says, I will follow you wherever you go. So now these are three, these are real people that this happened to, but they also represent types of people. They also represent types of postures of our hearts. But they were actually people. This guy volunteers and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The issue with this man, Matthew tells us that he's a scribe. A scribe was a, a leader a religious Jewish leader in the day. They had an affluent lifestyle. They were wealthy. They had influence, honor, prestige. And this man wanted to follow Jesus, but he also wanted to keep his old life. He wanted to keep his old life as well. I see this all the time where people want to just add Jesus to their life, not submit their life to him. It'll just be in the bio of my Instagram page or uh, I'll, wear, I'll have a sticker on my car or something like that. He's just an addition to, to part of my, the portfolio that is my life. It's Jesus is in there. But unfortunately, Jesus does not leave us that option. He's, he never leaves us that option. He says, if you want to live for me, then you, in three out of the four Gospels it says, then you must take up your cross and die to yourself daily and follow me. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? When you feel like it, when it's a good day, you know, when, you're, when everything comes into proper alignment, then you can just follow me that day. That's not what he says. How many of us would go into marriage with that, with that type of attitude? As a young man, I remember when I got married and I was just stupid. I didn't know anything. I was 25 and I didn't even know that I didn't know anything. I was just, and I'm sorry if you're that age, but you just don't know anything. And I remember getting married and being like, you know what, I'm just gonna live my life and now I'll just have a wife and it'll be great. And I can stay up all night playing video games and I can go out and do all these different things and live independently and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Your marriage will fail. It'll come to this crossroads, uh, this crossroad of, do you want me or not? Because you say you do, but your actions are showing something completely different. We can't hold on to our old life and have Jesus. We have to submit it to him. And our inability to trust God with the things of our life reveal to him what we really believe about him. Maybe we don't really believe that he's as good as he says. Maybe we don't believe that he is trustworthy. Maybe we believe that he's gonna pull the carpet out from underneath us. Maybe we believe that he's going to reject us and betray us. So we're always keeping things back just as a plan B, just in case. 
just in case. But he is, like I said before, he is better than you think. Verse 59, it says, And Jesus said to a man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom. So the first man volunteered, said, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. This guy, Jesus, said in the same way that he said to Peter, in the same way that he said to, to, to Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, follow me. And this said, man said, Lord, I will, but let me go bury my father first. Which is like, this, this guy was like, I got the ultimate excuse. <laughs> I have the ultimate excuse. It was the, uh, the mandate of the eldest son to make sure that the, that the father received a proper burial. And it was a complete disgrace against the family if the son walked out on that. But even the best excuse fell short because Jesus knew it wasn't about the father. Jesus knew that this man had a fear of man. If I leave everything and I follow Jesus, what will everyone say? What is everyone going to think about me? They'll think this guy's crazy. He went and joined a cult. I hear, I, I hear this from time to time. People say, you're taking this Jesus thing a little too seriously. <laughs> you guys are a little radical over there. You're, did, you guys, did you join some cult or something? I counsel people to read the Gospels. And then tell me what Jesus was saying. He doesn't leave us that option. There's a fear of man that keeps us away. That keeps God at arm's length in our life. The fear of man will rule you. And it reveals that we care more about what people think than what God thinks. But one day when we stand before him, we won't stand before, you won't stand before me, you won't stand before Drew, you won't stand before your spouse or any of the people at work that might make fun of you. You'll stand before the Lord. And on that day, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Fear of man comes down to a pride. Insecurity is pride because it's focused on self. And the Lord wants us to free. He says this line, which this is the one that seems so harsh, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What he's saying really is let the world worry about the things of the world, but you worry about the things of the kingdom. You're a kingdom person, so you be about the kingdom. Why would we, as believers, as followers of Jesus, worry about what the world thinks when the world thinks like the world thinks? In 1 Corinthians 1, it says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Of course it won't make sense. Their eyes are veiled. They're blinded. They can't see. Of course they'll, they'll think you're taking it a little too seriously. Time will tell. The fear of man will rob you from the deep things of God. 
because it'll cause you to only put your little toe in the deep end rather than jumping wholeheartedly in. And this last man, Pastor Scott, you can come to the keyboard. We're gonna sing that song again. I want Jesus. In verse 61, it says, still another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, Lord, or Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. This man was stricken with indecision. We don't see it at first glance, but this man was actually bringing conditions before God, saying, God, I'll follow you if... If I can do this, then I'll, then I'll do this. It reveals our immaturity. I, we have this conversation with my kids all the time. They're, they're always asking, I'll say, hey, can you, can you please do this? Or can you do this? Or don't you know, run out in the street. Why, 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 why? And we talk about the whys. And, but sometimes it's just like, I just need you to do it. I just need you to trust me. I just need you to trust that I'm your dad and I know more than you. We struggle at times with indecision. We're continually looking backwards or living perpetually in the future that we're avoiding the right now where God is tugging at our hearts. And we start believing the lie that I can always do it later. But when later comes, we don't know what later holds. We don't know if we'll have a later. We don't know if when later comes, if our hearts will be too hard to receive Jesus. You know, if you resist him for long enough, he lets us do our thing. He's never going to force us to love him. He's never going to force us to, to follow him and to serve him. But he gently beckons us and, and gently invites us in. But eventually, if we say, no, God, I want to do my own thing, he'll say, okay. Like the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. He says, okay, you can go. You can go do your thing. I'll be here. And so we've been in a season as a church of responding when the Lord speaks. See, Jesus knew that if this man went back home, the worries of life would capture his attention again. He'd forget it. He'd chalk it up to just an emotional experience. I just got a little excited. I met this, this man, Jesus, and I just got a little excited. And the worries of life will carry him away. It's like Mark chapter 4, the, the parable of the sower. It's like the seed sown on, on shallow ground. It takes root, but when the worries and trials of life come for the word's sake, it will wither up. It will die. Lord, give us a soil that is ready to receive the seed that's planted in it. We all have the same amount of hours in the day, and we all spend them differently. The late Nate Saint, who died a martyr's death with Jim Elliott in South America while serving the natives there, he said this, people who do not know the Lord ask 
Why in the world we waste our lives as Christians and missionaries? And they forget too that they are expending their lives and when the bubble bursts, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. Listen, I've no... I, I talk with people weekly and many of them just stay in the state of indecision for so long and years go by and years go by and years go by and the Lord's still saying, come on, just give it all to me. Just give, give up that, that, that unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. Give up your ambition. Give up your recreational uh, leisure time that you're entitled to. Give it to me. And they spend their lives in indecision. And when you're even indecision, is still a decision. But you're paralyzed in that place. And you waffle and you stay in the same place for year after year after year after year after year. And I've, I've prayed with people on their deathbed that said, I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much time. I wish I wouldn't have wasted so many years. I wish I would have said yes to Jesus earlier. So we, as a people and as individuals, we say, Jesus, we give you everything because you gave everything. And Jesus never lost sight of what he came to do. He accomplished his assignment perfectly. Just as I said in verse 51, when it said Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. Even though he stopped to do many things, he accomplished what he came to do. And we read in the Garden of Gethsemane, even as Jesus wrestles with his Father and says, even there's no other way, I just, your will and not mine. Jesus exemplified a life that you and I were meant to live, a life that is submitted and surrendered to Father. In Matthew 27, it says, in verse 15, it says, now it's a governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd, and at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked, which one do you want me to release, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do with this Jesus they call Messiah, they answered. And they all answered, crucify him. But why? What crime has this man committed, asked Pilate. But they all shouted louder and louder, crucify him. It's a question that's still being asked today. Who do you want? 
Jesus of the world, Barabbas represents, he was a real man, but he also represents all of the things of this world. In its most depraved state, this man Barabbas, a thug, a murderer. And the question is still being asked, who do you want today? Jesus or Barabbas, Jesus of the world. Who do you want? And even to me, walking with Jesus, now for 18 years, it's still that question, who do you want? Tony, who do you want? Jesus or the world? And I want this one who gave it all. In verse 27, it says that the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. And they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and then they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spit on him. They took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they mocked him, they took off the robe and they put on his own clothes and they led him away to be crucified. Verse 38 says, Then two thieves who were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left, those who passed by hurled, hurled insults, shaking their heads and saying, You who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he cannot even save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from that cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, the thieves who, who were crucified with him hurled insults at Jesus. The one who gave it all, endured all for us. Is saying, I've shown you the way, now come. Come. Why wouldn't we give everything to the one who gave everything? And it's going to look different at different seasons of your life. You know, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I, I was addicted to all these things. My life was a mess. And so what it cost me to follow Jesus was a surrender of just my life, like control of my life and, and, and submitting my, my addictions to him, the desires and, of my flesh and my heart. But then as I walked with him and I, I became a, a young pastor, cost me my ambition the kingdom that I wanted to build rather than his it cost a dying of those, those fleshly dreams for real ones and even now I'm 38 years old and what the Lord is, is, is saying I want your time. At a time in my life where it seems like every minute, every second is so costly. He's saying, I want your time. I want your time. When it feels like the world, everybody wants your time, Jesus is saying, give me your time. I want to take you deeper. So we can stand across this room. He wants to take us deeper.
What's keeping you this morning from full surrender? What's keeping you? What's holding you back? What's standing in the way? What are you so afraid of submitting and surrendering to him? For some of us, I believe it's unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. You're afraid. You've held on to it for so long. You don't even know what it would be like to not have it. You feel justified in your victimhood, but it's paralyzing you. It stunted your growth. And it's turned you into the thing you feared the most. For some, it's your career and ambitions. It's not bad to be motivated, it's not bad to be driven, but motive matters. Motive matters. The thoughts and the intents of the heart matter to God. And it's easy to ask the question to ourselves and not answer honestly, but ask that question, who are you living for? Are you living to accumulate as much as you can on this earth and then die? Are you living with a kingdom mindset? with Jesus at the center. For some of us in this place, we cannot submit or surrender relationships or our kids. I have found personally in my own life, surrendering my kids to God has been one of the more difficult things to do. But it's revealed a lack of trust that I haven't had, where God is saying, I wanna show you who I am in that way, that I am trustworthy. You can trust your children with me. For some of you here today, you've held on to things of the old life. And right now, you can feel the Lord pulling on your heart. For some of you, you have lived with this deep fear of man, what everybody thinks, and trying to please the world. I, I want to tell you, if you try to please the world and, and appease the world, you'll appease and please no one. And it's like that hamster wheel. You just keep running and running and running and tire yourself out and you get nowhere. The Lord wants to free you from that fear of man. Or maybe you've just been in that place of indecision for years and years and years. Knowing there are things, there are places within you that God has asked for and you've been unwilling to submit them to him. If you're feeling the draw of the Lord this morning, I want you just to come to the, to the front and respond to God. Like I said, God pulls on our hearts because he wants to free us, he wants to redeem us, so come, come get out of your seats. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. 